This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Um, don't be defeated when it comes to being a disciple. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of soul in what the Lord is doing there. Some of you might need some healing. But, um, and it's not just about tying the line. So, John, John 13, I just want to go quickly there, just back on discipleship, but, but I want to just look at Jesus again for a moment. Um, John 13, verse 12 to 20, Jesus had washed their feet and put, out, put, uh, put on his outer clothing. So at some point he'd taken off his outer clothing. The outer clothing was the uh, garment which gave him authority. And he'd taken that off to wash his disciples' feet. He didn't keep it on while he washed their feet. He lowered himself to the point of, this garment is what you would recognize me as your Lord and Master. I take that off, and I'm lowering myself down to the lowest part of you. That's where Jesus wants to go. And and then he reclined again, and he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord... And you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So there's Jesus very clear. He is teacher and Lord. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. And that day I've given you an example and you should do just what I've done for you. It's not just washing feet. And and actually washing feet is actually... Uh, washing feet, but it's also symbolic of something way bigger. And um, it says, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. <laughs> it's one thing to know them. It's one thing to know even any, any teaching we receive. Any of us. I mean, for me, every time I preach, I'm in more trouble than you, because every time I preach, I get to know things. And then I don't do those things. So, you know, they say, you shouldn't preach until you've done it. So, well, then uh, half of us should never preach. (laughs) But you're blessed if you do them. And I'm not speaking about all of you. He says, I know those that I've chosen, but the Scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread. I mean, that bread was an offering of covenant. He has my body. The one who eats my bread, I'm offering you everything. Has raised his heel, the very heel that he just washed, is raised that heel against me. I'm telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am He. Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Incredible. And so Jesus, like, for God, for the, the King, the Sovereign Lord of Heaven, to lower Himself down to our level and to show us His love and His care and His attentiveness to the very, the most humble part of ourselves. I mean, I, I was doing some stretches this morning um, in the hotel room there and, and um, you know, just trying to do a little bit of exercise from all the biltong. And then... I was looking at my feet, because I'd spoke about this yesterday in Potch. I was like, yes, these are humble things, eh? You know, these, I'm like, Lord, just bless these things. 
appendages at the end of our limbs. Um, we, Jesus is not afraid of your feet. He's not afraid of the, the, most hum, the humblest part, the lowest part of you, the part that, that gets into the dirt and smells. And He's not afraid of that. He's willing to take off all his mastery and all his lordship to show you that's what I want to reach. I want to get that close to you. The point is not that we go wash people's feet, but that if we're going to make disciples, that we would be willing to get so close to them that they feel like the most vulnerable part of their life is not too shameful for you to get near. I mean, are we, are we willing to let people know that we, we love them enough that we would be aware of their difficulty and that we would go there and help them with it? That we would wash them with the word? that we would wash them with the presence of God, that we'd wash them in prayer, that we'd wash them in ongoing care, so that the thing that is most disturbing to a person is that they're liberated from it. I mean, if we're going to make disciples, let's do all those things on the road at the wedding. But really, Jesus shows us the extent to which he loved his disciples and the extent to which he was willing to make disciples. And then he says, now go and do the same. Because I'm your master, and you're not above me. So we're, we're above Jesus when we don't want to do what Jesus asked us to do. So we're, we're under him, and, and under him we're under our disciples to lift them up. Wow, man, I tell you, this, this world loves this pulpit and this um, stage. And loves the lights and the cameras and all these kind of things. And the way we... we portray spiritual leaders with gold and silver and titles and big cars and hotel rooms and wada wada, all that kind of stuff is zero to do with Jesus. You know? I mean, his most powerful moment of ministry was at the feet of the people he's ministering to. Not them at his feet. Him at their, him at their feet. I mean, there's so many times the Bible speaks about the feet, like the exchange Jesus makes. When John the Baptist says, I can't even touch your shoes, Jesus says, no, no, I've come to walk in your shoes, John. For all righteousness to be fulfilled is not you fulfilling it, it's me fulfilling it for you. Give me those sinner's shoes, I'm going to put them on and go through the water. So that I can give you my righteousness shoes, so you can walk in open heavens. I mean, he's, he's concerned about your feet. Because the feet that walk in sin need to be the feet that walk in worship in eternity. And then how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And I tell you, when you study the feet of Jesus, Martha was running around, where was Mary? At the, sitting at his feet, and what did Jesus say? That's the better portion. Come sit on my feet. What do you find at his feet? You'll find the fragrance of the aroma of the perfume that comes from a prostitute who was forgiven. Man, you, 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 you sit at the feet and you realize there's a scar. Nails that have been pierced through so that we can run for him. You find the, the feet of almost the supernatural residue of him having walked on water in a storm and not sunk. Just realize what power are in these feet. They burn like burnished bronze glowing from his non-static 
pose as he runs through the nations to raise people out of the mud heaps. His feet. That's just his feet. That's what you bow down at. When you get that, you get all of that. And you haven't even looked at his shins. I'm sure there'll be something amazing about it. (laughs) The most amazing thing about his shins is that you dare to lift your head. You just get back down on your face at the feet of Jesus. And then you realize what he did for your feet. Oh, Lord. The, the whole, the, the way ministry has gone, the way people have made ministry and we do all these kind of things is uh, so far from this. And um, why we want people to be successful. We want people to be raised up. <laughs> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I've been given a trust and I must prove faithful. You've been given a trust. You've been, you've, the knowledge you have, you have to prove faithful with it. The people that you have in your life, you have to prove faithful. Men, owners of homes, your house, you know that you will give an account to Jesus for your house, your household, your family. You will give an account to Jesus for that household. What did you do with the daughter I gave you, husband? What did you do with the son and daughter I gave you? You were a steward of them. They're not yours, they're his. He just let you look after it. My wife is not my wife, it's his daughter first. Then, thankfully, he let her be my wife. I have to give her back one day. You know, she's going to be blue, blue eyes and hair plucked out and plastic stuck on you. There you go. No, it's her heart, her soul, her, the love, her love for him, the gold of faith inside of her. The love of being a disciple who loves Jesus, who who earns an inheritance for him, with others, with me, together, as a helper, fulfilling an obedient call to God. Wow. I have to steward that. Husband, wife, you have to steward your husband. You don't play zero role in your husband's life. You pray. You're the helper. You're what the Holy Spirit was to Jesus. You steward that and understand that. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, for churches, to be a leader of a church, to be a leader of a team, to be an elder, to know that you've been entrusted with the blood-bought saints of God, and their souls are in our hands. That's what's going to happen if you dare to make a disciple, but he's asked you to make a disciple. You're going to take care of someone, and you're going to build into them. And guess what? Their life is going to get tested by fire. And your work is going to be proven when they turn out to be gold, silver, or precious stone, or they turn out to be wood, stubble, or straw. And you will have no reward in their life if you haven't put faith in them, Jesus in them, the Spirit in them, the Word in them, the stuff that lasts forever. And then Paul, in that 1 Corinthians 4, he goes on to talk about, this is how you should consider me, an apostle. Hyperites, I don't know how to speak Greek, but it sounds something like that, <laughs> is an under-rower. You know what an under-rower is? And those big ships, those Romans, Roman ships, they would have three rows, uh, three uh, stories of rowers that would row to the sound of a beating drum or to a trumpet or whatever, 
And as, those, as that trumpet would beat, they roll. Wow, and they just go. don't know how to say one, two, three in Roman. I, 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 I. <laughs> <laughs> and row. And if that thing hit ground or was attacked by another ship or rocks thrown on the thing or whatever, the under rowers, the, the third row at the bottom, were the last to get out the ship. That was the prisoners and the slaves. The others would, would you know, overboard in as quick as they can, but it was the under rowers who couldn't get out. And Paul says, I'm an under rower. This is how you should consider us apostles, under rowers, the scum of the earth, the garbage. And where did he learn that from? A Jesus who was willing to be born in a donkey trough and accustomed with suffering. I'm not saying we must all just go suffer, but the attitude of, and the willingness to work with broken people and the willingness to go to the very depth of where people are at so that you can raise them to the very heights of where God wants them to be. That's going to be the work of a disciple. When you notice something that's broken about a person, you just noticed your task that God wants you to fulfill in their life. <laughs> the thing we often gossip about or criticize, the thing about a person's life, the, 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 the part that is low about a that, that's your task. How are you, you going to love, care? And just be careful when it comes to finding a speck in your brother's eye. Because the Bible talks about you having a logbook. <laughs> or a log, or a beam. <laughs> I just love that. Somebody said it once, like this, a beam. is like this, I mean, those things before they cut that thing. And you walk, you're doing this. <laughs> and the beam's mucking everyone on the head. <laughs> and nobody actually likes you when you're not aware of your beam in your eye. So take that out first, and then you go, ah, I can see clearly, speck savers. <laughs> you take the speck out of the eye. Even if the devil uses, if the devil comes to you and highlights something about someone, you silence him. But then you say, Jesus, I'm going to redeem it. And when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, you've got to redeem it. Because he doesn't reveal, he reveals to heal and to raise up. I'm so grateful for people in my life who see the things that need change. And dare to speak to me about it. Not that I'm going to do something if they do. I know what it takes for someone to actually come and do it. It's like, thank you. Gee, help me. <laughs> this past, when was it? I was talking a little bit too blasé about something that I did in my, in my past, before Christ. And I was trying to use it as an illustration of um, that because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me now, if I was offered the same thing that I had then, it would make no difference to me now because of the Holy Spirit. It was related to drugs. I would have zero desire for those drugs. I said, but without the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I would have climbed in. And I was a bit graphic about it, and then some people were offended by it. And I was like, I, can't, I could have said, you're not getting the point. You know, I could have done that. But as, as this person was talking to me, I felt the father say to me, listen. It's like, mm. And then he spoke these things into my heart. I was like, okay, I need to be careful how I talk. I need to be careful what I say. Because as a preacher, I can be a little bit babbly. 
We all need that. Uh, yeah, Lord Jesus. So let's become like Jesus when it comes to humbling ourselves to help others. It's an incredible thing. Jesus was so teachable. And that's what earns him the right to be such a good teacher. As a child, he was in the temple learning and growing and submitting himself to his parents. He could have said to them, listen, mom and dad, you need to understand. I'm 12 now, and I'm telling these teachers what's what. And this is my moment. (laughs) But he went and submitted himself to his father, submitted himself to his mother, to the point where Mary was astounded by that. Like a teenager doing that kind of thing. (laughs) And his teachability says how he grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. He already had it as a boy, but he grew in it through his teachability. And that's what makes him such an incredible teacher. You will be an incredible teacher if you stay teachable. Sign up for E2M now. (laughs) The, The more you're taught, the more you can teach. Jesus even showed us what it meant to be taught. Isn't that incredible? He didn't need to, te- he didn't need to be taught. And uh, he was teachable. Right, so, Gospels gives us his incredible names. While we're on the names thing, should we look at the names of the deacons? That's quite interesting. The names of the deacons uh, help us understand some of the roles where the servant nature, and the, the servant nature is there to make disciples, Because when these servants are put in place, these servants who would care to be like Jesus and wash the feet of the saints, when these servants and deacons are put in place, it says that the number of the disciples increased. And so let's have a look at uh, some of these incredible disciples. So Acts chapter 6, if we can go there, from verse 1 to 7. And it says, in those days the disciples were increasing in number. And there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews, about the widows uh, being overlooked in the daily distribution. Uh, The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. You must understand something. They weren't trying to get away from a service. They just recognized the service of preaching the word of God was needed to be prioritized. It wasn't, no, no, I'm a preacher, I don't serve. No, I serve by preaching. And I want to make sure that I remember I'm serving by preaching. So I want to prepare for it because I want to serve people with it. And so uh, the word of God to wait on tables. And brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch, and uh, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, and so the word of God spread, because now there was attentiveness to the word in an intentional manner, and that began to grow, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests this is the religious priests. This is the, the priests of the, um, the law, the priests of the temple, the priests of everything that was 
not what Jesus was. <laughs> what Jesus came out of and was trying to save people from. Those priests who killed Jesus. A number of these priests now became obedient to the faith. So they were obedient to the law. Now they're obedient to the faith. So it's incredible just the, the um, breaking into other religions in a sense that was taking place just through people being put into serving positions and functions. And so the disciples increase and in the five chapters of the book of Acts, you see that disciples increase because of prayer. So pray, and you'll see the disciples increase. And they were united in prayer. There was power, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit should always produce disciples. It will strengthen the, the immature disciples to become mature disciples, but it will also make fish become flock. It's, uh, there is evolution in the Bible. Um, fish becomes flock when the presence of God is breaking out. And then you've got um, power, you've got preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders following. And uh, the preaching of the gospel is wonderful when it's not just in word, but also in deed. And you start to see disciples produced. Funny enough, persecution resulted in the disciples multiplying even foster. I tell you, I heard an incredible story of Ukrainian uh, spirit-filled Ukrainian refugees fleeing their homes which have been bombed and shot to pieces in Ukraine and running into Poland and as they entered Poland they preached the gospel to the Polish and Polish people are getting saved because of spirit-filled Ukrainians who are making disciples as a result of persecution. <laughs> God's on the move. Is, God's on the move in Europe. He's doing incredible things. And he's taking these Christians and scattering them in an Acts 8 kind of scenario. And uh, people are being touched all around the world as a result of it. And it's amazing. And then there's the priorities. So the prayer, power, preaching, persecution, and the prioritizing of possessions and um, putting pressure on the right things results in progress for disciples. So uh, the disciples are included in the decision making, which is amazing. And the disciples institute the deacons, and here we have these deacons, and these are their names. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Stephen means crowned. Crowned. And there's nothing greater in the kingdom than a servant. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom are servants. If you want the crown of heaven, serve people. Serve God. Serve others. It's in our service that Jesus says, this is a beautiful thing. Because we become like Jesus. He is ultimate servant of God. And uh, Stephen crowned, ultimately is crowned with the martyr's crown. And he is um, crowned because of his, you know, the way he gives his life up is incredible. He's being stoned. And he says, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. He repeats the same words that Jesus said on the cross, and Jesus stands up from his throne and receives Stephen into his hands. I mean, what an amazing thing. He served to the point of forgiving his enemies, and Jesus stands up for that. So you, forgiveness. Serve people with forgiveness. You don't serve people by holding a grudge against them. You don't serve people by hoping that they get punished for the thing they did. You don't serve people by hoping that they pay the price. You serve people in a Jesus way by forgiving them. 
that's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus, but he did it. He forgave us. And his power will enable Stephen to do it, and it will enable you and I to do it. And so if you want to be a deacon, make sure you have forgiveness in your life. It's essential to anyone who wants to serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord with unforgiveness. And uh, that's royalty in the eyes of Jesus, is those that serve sacrificially. And so deacon, serve sacrificially. Stephen is even exalted um, and exalts Jesus in his preaching. The longest recorded preach in the Bible is Stephen, the deacon. And uh, it's an incredible thing, you know, he, he, he just shares right across the law and the prophets exalting Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. So serving through preaching is a, a, and exalting Jesus, that's Stephen. Philip, again, we Philip is the lover of horses. Um, so by the way, every deacon should serve, and there are deacons that can preach, but they don't have to be elders. Then you've got Philip, the lover of horses. Uh, the wild and the uh, loves the wild and loves the willing nature of this horse. I've got a, a friend of mine who um, loves horses, and I want to tell you what she wrote to me about horses. Where did she say it? Um, and Winston Churchill said something about horses. She says, There's so many things to love about a horse. Their power, you'll like this, Ainsley. Their power yet submission. Their willingness to serve often at their own dismay. Their beauty and their majesty and their absolute understanding of the soul. They are healers, servers, and warriors. Churchill said, there's something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. <laughs> That's cool, eh? I mean, Jesus has a horse, man. I don't know whether Jesus has stables. But he's got the horse. I mean, you can imagine the other horses are like, ah, the Jesus horse. I mean, the, Jesus has a white horse, and that's the horse. There is no other horse. It's not, it's not riding a donkey anymore. He did the donkey to Jerusalem thing. But when he comes and rides in glory, it's that horse. There's no other horse like it. <laughs> we'll be like, wah, until our voices go hoarse. So... Um, Sorry, man, I had to jump through my notes to find that. So, Philip, a lover of horses, it's um, deacons who are willing to take the time to train and tame and skillfully put disciplines into people's lives. But at the same time, it's somebody who can handle the vehicles of ministry. A horse is a vehicle of ministry. So, your deacons being able to administer and handle the vehicles of ministry, the the Management, the admin, the assets, the assets of the kingdom, the homes, the churches, the facilities, your deacons who do that well, uh, or your, your servants who do that well, are good deacons. And so, incredible, um, uh, just through the name there, Prochorus is the next one. What do you think Prochorus means? Yeah, the leader of the chorus. This like pro, not pro-life, Prochorus. They're just... Forget the verses, just go straight to the chorus. In front when it comes to... And this is your creative ministry. These are your dance, your worship, your music, your arts. This is um, headed up by a deacon. Incredible. Nicanor. Nicanor means victorious conqueror. And uh, a victorious conqueror is somebody that's defeating the enemy, is bringing deliverance, 
It brings powerful spiritual ministry against the devil and the demonic. This, I see, is somebody that can operate in the spiritual warfare, who can bring counseling and can bring freedom into people's lives. These are the Nicanors on your deacon team. Timon, honorable and valuable. And knowing the value and the honor of people in the kingdom is, is incredible. There's no greater value in the kingdom than people. The, the, the currency of the kingdom is people. And people restored. I mean, Jesus died for people. He's waiting on the throne for people. And he's going to take all those people and declare to those people, this is your father. My father and your father. This is your father. And then all of the people are going to be led by Jesus as Jesus says, let's worship the father. And he's going to be the greatest worship leader the world has ever seen when he leads us in song to praise the Father. Can you imagine that day? But the point is, the Father delights every time one sinner repents. It says this, that there's more joy before the angels when a sinner repents. What does it mean before the angels? Well, what are the angels looking at? The angels look at the Father. And when a sinner repents, the Father stands up, spins around, and dances and sings and rejoices over one more son that has come into the kingdom of God. The Father. You imagine, Dad, how happy he is when one more person comes in. Yeah. And so there's no more delight in heaven than people. People are the gold of heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is that? Use your earthly finances so that souls can be before the Father, so that people, nations can be at his feet. And so, but Timon, I mean, it's a little bit of Timon and Pumbaa, a little move here making, the Lion King, um, is his name Timon even? Timon, same, yeah, Timon, Timon, same thing. <laughs> Simon, Simone, you know. The value of children, children, don't forget there's so much value in children. God almost places more value on children than on adults. I mean, you didn't hear the father say, if an adult sins and you cause an adult to sin, tie a millstone around, around his neck, an anvil, and toss him in the deepest part of the sea. He never said that about an adult. He said it about a child. You dare try and affect a child with sin. And you cause a child to sin. And you don't stop a child from sinning. And you don't even discipline a child when they're sinning. And you let them sin. You might as well put a millstone around your neck and jump into the ocean. And then it says this, and their angels, they've got like direct access to the Father in heaven. In other words, I don't know whether there's guardian angels or not. It seems like there are, but if there isn't, it doesn't matter. But it does seem like there are angels that God particularly instructs to look after children. And those angels have direct access. He tells all the other angels, shh, shh, child angel, come here. And listens to them. Timons are your children's ministry leaders. The ones who see the value that God sees in children that is more valuable than anything else. Good. <laughs> Timon. <laughs> Pominus. Pominus is abiding and constant. These are the kind of guys you want faithful on your financial stewardship. Abiding, constant, patient, showing continuity, uh, pushing the numbers, counting the beans regularly. These are your financial stewards. Nicholas, again, victorious over the people. This is not just uh, the other guy was Nicanor, victorious conqueror, conqueror, but 
Nicholas, victorious over the people. In other words, not afraid of people. This is your person that cares about your visitors, about your strangers, about the foreigners. This is both your visitors and community kind of leader, but also your apostolic kind of leader. Somebody who loves strangers, loves foreigners, is not afraid of people. Just able to bring those that are afraid to be among people and make them feel really special to be among the crowd. And um, these are the names of the deacons. Isn't that amazing? Let's serve Jesus. Let's serve one another. Let's be, say, well, I'm not a deacon. No, but you can be all these things. You can be the kind of person that cares about visitors, cares about the finances, cares about children, cares about counseling, cares about creative ministry, cares about managing and handling the vehicles of ministry, and cares about the preaching, but ultimately cares about serving people. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray a spirit of love and service to make disciples would rest upon City Hill Church. City on a Hill Church, sorry. And City Hill Church. We have to pray for them. <laughs> and the Crossing Church. We pray, Lord Jesus, for the, for the Spirit of Jesus to come and rest upon us. And we want to be like you, Lord. We, we, we want to be like you with the crowns, but we don't really want to be like you with the cross. And you said, my disciples... If you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, you will carry your cross. And that's not his cross. He carried his cross. But Lord, you've asked us to carry our crosses. And our crosses are the ones that are going to result in loving people, serving people, and being faithful stewards of people. I want to pray over this church, not just for servants and stewards, not just for disciple makers, but I want to pray fathers. Like Paul says, we have many instructors, but we have so few fathers. And I've become your father through the gospel. And I want to ask God, for the spirit of the father, to rest upon every single person in this room. That fathers would serve again. That mothers would have the father heart of God. That we would see young people, young in the Lord, raised up, strengthened from the very depths, from the very the humble places where their feet are at, to the places where they're worshiping before the throne. That's what you did for us, Jesus. You were not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because you shared in our temptation, yet you overcame. And you are not ashamed to present us to the Father as your very brothers and sisters. Amazing, Lord. And so we exalt you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, continue to do great work in Clarksdorf, in Potch, in all the places where this church will find the expression. I thank you, Lord, that... You will continue to do great things here. Um, Chris, don't you want to quickly share that word just, just as briefly as you can, just those bullet points of what you were feeling for, for Clarksdorf? How's it, guys? Good, man. Um, so I, I felt uh, just to share three things about uh, what I've seen here at City on a Hill. And I felt it was important to share because I know that you guys are going through the Jonah series, and obviously uh, Jonah was not a Ninevite, but he was called to this nation. And I felt like God was saying to you that, and wanted to encourage you on the inheritance that you have in the nations. And it comes out of the first two chapters of Daniel. Um, and if I may, so Daniel is uh, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
um, is now overseeing and leading the Israelites because he's, uh, he is now king over them. And uh, Daniel is serving in his house um, because he's, he's called these people around. And um, he's giving them all the tools that they need to serve him, everything that they could ever wish for, imagine, so that they could have every tool that they, that they need in order to serve him. But Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make a stand, and they say, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And God granted uh, Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. And I felt for you that uh, in your travel, in your going and serving other nations, number one, that you would be put before kings, that you would be given an inheritance that would see you speaking to people of influence. Number two, I felt like you, uh, in, your, uh, in this call, that you would be determined he, in, in this, it says he was determined not to defile himself. For me, that was his call to righteousness. Yes, he was called to serve this nation, but he wasn't going to do it at the expense of what God was calling the Israelite nation to, and that was righteousness. And I felt like as you go, that you are going to be righteous in your call, and you're not going to defile yourself with the, the, the things that the world is trying to show you because we go into the world, right? The second thing was the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel receives the interpretation of that dream um, as well as the dream itself. Um, but I love, how, I love his response. I know that a couple of months ago you guys released a song. And uh, um, I want to encourage you in, in this book of Daniel because what it says is that he receives the dream and the interpretation. And his first response is not to go to Nebuchadnezzar because, sorry, I forgot to say, he was on death row. Nebuchadnezzar said to the guys, the, the magicians, the sorcerers, all of these guys, he was like, you, you are going to give me the dream or the interpretation or I'm going to get rid of all of you. So these guys are on death row. And his first response is not to be like, Jeez, I've got to go and tell these guys. You know, I've got to go tell King Nebuchadnezzar about the dream and the interpretation. His first response is to say, is to worship God. And his first response is to say, all wisdom and power belong to you. So I want to encourage you, uh, knowing that you're a church who worships, I want to encourage you and say, in everything that you do, all wisdom and power belong to him. Understand that when he's given you that gift, when he's given you the ability to go to these nations, continue in every aspect of your ministry and your life to worship him. We see it. We see it. And I'm just encouraging you because this is what I'm seeing in your church. And then the last thing is, um, is when he goes to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and he, he gives him the, the interpretation um, of the dream, and he, uh, it says, uh, it's 27, it says, the, the king said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he has asked about, but 
There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and your vision that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these, and he goes on to tell him the dream and the interpretation. And something that I've, that I've seen in, in the, just the two days that I've been here has been such a humility in this church. You guys are so humble in your call to what he's, he's given you. And what we see in Daniel is that he's, he's now come, he's got the answers, but he isn't like now suddenly the man of God, Brad was sharing earlier, this titles thing. You're not now suddenly the it guy, uh, the guy on the, on the podium who has been given everything by God. You still remain in that place of humility that I'm just a humble servant, the under rower who is here to serve you because there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants to reveal things to you. I pray that that will encourage you. Thanks, guys. Now, friends, I, I really, really believe God's been speaking to us. If I just listen to what uh, Chris was sharing with us last night around our love for one another is the thing that brings people into God's kingdom. That's what people are looking for. God puts the lonely in the families. And the way that our love is expressed is actually... How do we really love one another? And I, I've just been, you know, wrestling through this, uh, chatting through, um, I just yesterday, when I was, uh, or not yesterday, on Thursday, I was at the Connect with uh, some of the guys in Joburg, the, some of the pastors. And, um, and I had a moment with, with Bruce, those of you that know Bruce McAlpine, he's, he's very straight. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that Bruce loves me. And because he loves me, he... He tunes me. And, and on Thursday, he did it in front of other people. <laughs> and I was standing there thinking, Bruce, thanks so much for loving me, but maybe we could have done it somewhere else. And, and I was like, but at no point did I ever doubt his love for me because he was speaking into some things that, that I needed to hear. And our love for one another, friends, is expressed in our willingness to really uh, do two things. One, love covers a multitude of sins. So I'm, over, I'm willing to overlook the, the, the offenses and the challenges and the things that someone does against me because I'm, I realize, as Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I realize my position in God. Not, not thinking too, too, too little of ourselves, but also not, you know, right, right view of ourselves. And being able to love one another means that we overlook the offenses. But it doesn't mean that we don't deal with the offenses because Jesus also says that, that perfect love, or we speak the truth in love. And I'm trusting as a church, and this has just been something I've been feeling, as, even as Brad's been speaking about discipleship, looking at the characteristics of the, the followers of Jesus, there was a, a willingness and a desire and, a, and a, a yielding themselves to Christ where Jesus could speak into their lives but they were also speaking into one another's lives. And if you look through the New Testament, there's so many moments. Peter and Paul have this moment in Galatians. Like publicly, Paul gets up and tunes Peter. Peter, the guy who was leading the church in Jerusalem, the number one apostle, the one Jesus has chosen one. Right in front of everybody. Because there was a love and a concern for one another. And friends, if we want to continue to 
see God move and do all that He wants to do in and through us, can we humble ourselves to not only receive some of the corrections and the moments and the adjustments, but actually to be willing to give it to one another, to overlook the offenses, but also to deal with things. And speaking truthfully and op openly with one another, some of the things that we experience. Because last time I checked, a blind spot is a blind spot because I can't see it. And many times we have, you know, someone is stuck, you know, in school. They just stick the thing on someone's back. How's it, buddy? And then it's stuck there. And then everybody's like, oh, stupid, or whatever at the back. And everyone's laughing. Oh, look at that. And you don't know. And we do that in the church all the time. Our discipleship, and, and I love what you were sharing, just around our true discipleship says, I'm willing to help you through it. And, and can we be a church that's containing for that? Into the very foundation of our lives. I, I, I see the, the, the challenge, the trial, the personality quirk. Uh, I've had to apologize to many of you. Um, even just this last week, because my communication at times has been bad, and I'm skipping on things, and I'm forgetting things. And, and I'm like, Lord, help me. And I'm so grateful that people are willing to forgive me. But at the same time also, like, let's speak, let's, let's, let's work it out. Uh, and so that's really my prayer, friends. I believe God's speaking to us. Um, I really believe this, just even what, what Chris was sharing with us now, us drawing from the throne room of, of heaven for every situation, us walking in righteousness, with me, which means I don't tolerate the things that I know is, is hurtful and, and not helpful. And I'm willing to work that out because confrontation is what God wants us to do. Matthew 18 says, if, someone, if I know someone has sinned against me, I go to them and I sort it out with them. I contend for covenantal relationships. And I don't just overlook it and then, ah, oh, I'll, I'll push it back. You just let, let people have the little tags behind their backs. Everybody knows. Yeah, you know, it's Bob. Bob's got the problem. But actually, no. Has anybody ever said to Bob, Bob, hello? Just let's be aware of these things. I really believe God's speaking to us. And I really am excited just about what God is doing with us in terms of this discipleship reality. It's really important, friends. I, I, I want us to hear this. God wants us to fall more in love with Jesus and help others to experience him. And this whole reality of Winsome and going into our purpose campaign, in two weeks' time we're launching that. I believe God's going to bring people in. And we're going to see more and more light bulbs added to our Jesus Equals Life um, board. Just a, a faith statement, 101 bulbs. You know, we've three down. What's it, 98 to go? <laughs> I'm a pastor. My, my math is not good. <laughs> I want to just pray for us. I, I, I just felt like as I was sitting here, not to have like another like music moment. I really believe God wants to do business with, with us. And can we just take a moment in silence? Lord, you've highlighted a, a, a lot of different things to us. Can we, um, can we have it settled, Lord? We don't want to leave this place. Just moving into the next thing, being distracted by a screen, the, the person we're following online, the thing we've got to go do. Holy Spirit, come and do business with us, Lord. Some of us need to ask for forgiveness. Give us the courage to do so.
Some of us need to have a critical conversation. We want to speak your truth in love, Lord, because we love one another genuinely. We want to be shaped into your image and likeness, Jesus. Anything that's not of you, removed, burnt away, so that what is truly eternal remains. Lord Jesus, we want to be a church that's so in love with you that as Chris said to us last night, that we fall in love with one another. We live in covenantal relationships, Lord. We are a church that loves you and that loves the world not for what it has to offer, but because we desire to draw them into your kingdom. Let us be salt and light, permeating every aspect of society, everywhere we go, Lord, that people would know that we are your disciples, we are your followers, by our love for you and for one another. Holy Spirit, come and, come and set us free, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you also, Lord, just for the fruit that will come from this, this time together. The, the strengthening of relationships. The restoring of, uh, of trust. Your church leading people into a relationship with you, Jesus. That truly we would be a people, as Brad started off today, who take hold of the opportunity that is presented to us in the midst of a world in turmoil and chaos, economic challenges, relational, health, political, in the midst of this, that the Jesus movement, a movement of disciples, people that are so in love with you that the only name on their lips is Jesus. The only person we want to express and experience is Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Please thank you so much for your time. Well done for taking the time out. I don't know what happened with the temperature, just through the floor. But I'm uh, glad we can, we can be warmed up. Uh, tomorrow morning, 9.30, we'll get together. Um, I want to remind the guys in my community, Xenio, Xenio, we're serving tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be great to be on mission together. And uh, let's be praying. Let's be praying for those people that are far from God. Let's be inviting some guys. Uh, let's see what God uh, will do uh, in and through us. Uh, it's such a privilege to be together. God bless you, and we'll see you in the morrow. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.